All right, back in the back of Paul's letters is the little epistle to Philemon. As one man refers to it as Philemon, but I think it's Philemon. And uh, that would, let's see, I'm trying to find the page here. Looks like it's on something like 1160. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker, to Aphia, our sister, to Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church that meets in your house. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers because I hear about your faith in the Lord Jesus and the love for all the saints that you have. I pray for you that you may be active in sharing your faith so that you will have a full understanding of every good thing we have in Christ. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the saints. Therefore, although you Although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, yet I appeal to you on the basis of love I then, as Paul, an old man, and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he has become useful both to you and to me. I'm sending him who is my very heart, back to you. I would have you, I would have liked to keep him with me so that he could take your place in helping me while I am in change for the gospel, but I did not want to do anything without your consent so that your favor, any favor you do will be spontaneous and not forced. Perhaps for this reason he was separated from you for a little while, that it would have him back for good, no longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. He is very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a man and as a brother in the Lord. So if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he has done anything, or done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will pay it back, not to mention that you owe me your very self. I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I ask. And one more thing, prepare a guest room for me, because I hope to be restored to you in answer to your prayers. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends you greetings, as do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Now, we're talking in this passage about three men that Jesus mastered. And so the question for all of us then would be, are we people whom Jesus has mastered? Is he constantly mastering us? Have you seen these commercials where you've got the professional drivers on a closed course and they're doing all these things in their cars and whatnot? And sometimes as a trailer, uh, 
they'll have some little thing on this that says, don't try this at home. Well, I would say to you, Paul is involved in bringing an enormous correction into this whole structure of society. And unless you're a person that's been mastered by Christ, and unless we're dealing with other people that he has mastered, we probably should avoid attempting to do something like this. This is a huge issue that Paul's addressing here. But Jesus has mastered Paul. Paul realizes that Jesus has mastered Philemon. And Paul realizes that now Jesus has mastered this runaway slave, Onesimus. And it's on that grounds that he's making his appeal. Now, just for us, how we might think about this. Uh, I went to my first church in a little town in South Alabama, and they thought it was necessary to have a business card for their pastor. So they wanted to put First Presbyterian Church, Florala, Alabama, the address and the telephone number of the church uh, on that card, and they said, you know, put something else on there that you would like. I says, oh, that's cool, I'll think about it. I didn't think very long about it, but I came up right away with what I wanted to put on that card. It was a symbol from the Protestant Reformation. Now, if you've ever seen the symbol that's attached to the man John Calvin, John Calvin had this symbol on the front of his pulpit here so that whenever the congregation looked where Calvin was preaching, you would see this on the front of the pulpit. Well, there was a hand, and the hand was face up, and in the back you could see the thumb slightly elevated. And then coming out of the hand, there was a flame. And in the midst of the flame was a symbol for a heart, like a Valentine's heart. And that was a symbol. In Latin, around this, it said, I'll give you the English, My heart I give to you, O Lord, promptly and sincerely. Now, if you'd say, where should we go with understanding what God has done in the life of Paul, in the life of Philemon, in the life of Onesimus, and what should we hope that God would do in our own hearts, I think the words of John Calvin pretty much reflect it. My heart, not somebody else's heart, (laughs) my heart, I give, I offer to you, O Lord, promptly and sincerely, at all times and with all its fullness, I offer you my heart. These men had done that. As a result of it, Paul can begin to address this issue within the church of slavery. And that's what he's addressing. So when we we look at this, we need to ask ourselves, as we're trying to make changes 
in the structures of our lives, in the structures of our family, our church, community, are we people that God's mastered? In other words, are we usable? There's a lot of people that would think they're usable, but in reality, when things become difficult, well, they're probably not as usable as they think. Uh, in our lifetime, there was a man, Chuck Colson, and you remember he was the hatchet man of the White House, and he was led to Christ right after the Watergate scandal, and he went to prison as a Christian then, and then he came out, and he's led this wonderful prison fellowship ministry that has become an international ministry to people that are prisoners. Here is Chuck Colson, a man who's offered his heart to the Lord promptly and sincerely. I think of a lady that I have some connection to, and Georgia has connection to, and that would be Kay Arthur. Kay Arthur is a woman who has offered her heart to the Lord promptly and sincerely, and God's used Kay Arthur for many, many years now. The need that we have to be used by the Lord. Now, when we look at Paul, we see the contrast from Saul of Tarsus to the man who's writing this letter. In 1 Timothy 1.16, Paul talks about his life prior to coming to Christ. And in there, first of all, he tells us that he was a blasphemer of Jesus. Not a very good place to begin. He was a persecutor of a church. He was a violent aggressor. When you see all the things that are going on in the Middle East today you can understand that these things have a very old history. And one of the people that were a part of this in antiquity was the Apostle Paul before his conversion. He was just like these people. Well, Christ comes in and meets Paul personally. Notice it isn't Paul going to meet Jesus. It's Jesus coming to meet Paul and so Jesus comes to Paul and begins to change the course of his life, and he's continuously changing Paul's life. And I would want to say it this way, from the narrowest of people to the most gracious of all people. That was the sense in which we see the transformation in, in Paul's life. A number of years ago, there was a um, movement across church and even uh, religious barriers to deal with the right-to-life issue in our culture. Now, some of the strongest non-Christian people that are pro-life are the Orthodox Jews. That would be like... Saul of Tarsus. Well, at this meeting and at the conclusion of it, and a great deal of unanimity about how these various groups would work within their own organizations to advocate for the right to life, some evangelical women who were very appreciative of the work of these Orthodox Jews went to thank them. 
This is recently. <laughs> this isn't back when Saul was alive. The evangelical women went up and stuck out their hands like this to shake the hands of the Orthodox Jew. And you know what the Orthodox Jew did? An Orthodox Jew will not touch any woman other than his wife, and he won't allow himself to be touched. <laughs> now, I'm using this as an illustration. Saul used to be like that. I want you to consider all the women that Paul considered friends. And I want you to consider that they saw Saul of Tarsus converted as their friend. We go through the scriptures, and there's Lydia, the famous convert in Europe. There is Phoebe. There is Priscilla, where you know her as Prisco or Priscilla and Aquila. Um, there's Eudia. There is Syntyche. There is Lois. There is Eunice. And in this letter, there is Aphia. These are all women that Paul saw as his fellow workers, his friends, his comrades in Christ, and they were his friend, and he was their friend. God had transformed this narrow man into an immensely gracious man. Paul was... What, well, we sing the song, Jesus, what a friend to. And we could put down here, Paul, what a friend to Christians. As you go through the scriptures, Paul was a man who accumulated friends. I would want you to say, if you're going to be a person of influence... It's going to be because you're out engaging yourself in the culture and making friends and keeping friends. Paul was a man previously of threats. Threats against Christians, threats against Christ, threats against the church. Paul's now a man of blessing. It was a blessing to be with Paul. Paul's praying for people. We see it at the beginning of this letter. Paul was a man who attempted to squeeze others into his narrow ways, but after his conversion in this text, he is gently suggesting the way that this man Philemon should go. Paul was an elitist. If you read what it says about, he says about himself in the book of Philippians, how he was this and he was that and he was something else within his culture. Now, Paul has taken a Roman slave as his own son. <laughs> this is a huge change. Now, if we're dealing with real estate, one of the key things that determines value in real estate is what? Location, location, location. If we're going to make change and have value inside the culture, it's going to be because we're like Paul and we value friends. We value people. 
and we value them in Jesus Christ. We want to see them come to know the Jesus we have come to know. As the scriptures say, apart from me, Jesus says, you can do, what's the text say? goes on and says something like that. With Jesus, all things are possible. Paul's changing the world of slavery in this little epistle. Let's look at Onesimus for a minute. He was a slave of his time. No idea how he became a slave. He could have been a home-born slave. More than likely, he's a slave because of some type of warfare. He's no doubt been purchased by this man, Philemon. But he's a slave of his time. He has a simple self-confession that he made to Paul, and Paul iterates here. He says he was useless. He was useless to Philemon. That's what he's telling us about himself. In the Roman society, this man was on the lowest rung, but he even went lower because he became a runaway. And apparently in verse 18 and 19, he appears to have been involved in some form of theft. Lastly, we would say of this man, he's not a Christian when all of this takes place. Song says, I'm caught in a trap. There's no way out. That's where this man Onesimus was. And in the midst of that, God leaves this runaway slave on a journey that ends almost a thousand miles later in the city of Rome and somehow in the mysterious background providences of God, he ends up in the same place where Paul is at. And Paul befriends this young slave and introduces this young slave to his best friend, Jesus. And now Jesus comes into this man, Onesimus, and in, in, uh, again, I preached a couple weeks ago about Saul's conversion, and I said Saul would not think that his conversion was any more spectacular than your conversion. It's a change of heart wrought by the Holy Spirit. It's a miracle. Now, was his more, as it were, over-the-top and outlandish than most of ours? Yeah. We're not typically knocked from our horse by a blinding light. I mean, I don't know how it was with you. Uh, mine was radical. It was dramatic at 22, almost 23. But what happened here is this change. Once I was blind, now I see. Once I didn't have a heart for the Lord, now I have a heart for the Lord. This is the change that comes in to this man, Onesimus. The clearest language is, Paul says, he is useful to me, and he will be useful to you. He is going to live up to his name. This is a man who became a caregiver to Paul in his imprisonment. I think I might even become a slave if I could have that privilege. Just think. 
to wait on the Apostle Paul. That would be to be discipled by the Apostle Paul. What a privilege. He gives him so much, himself so much to Paul that Paul looks at him like a son. Paul's telling us that his life is bound up with the affections of his own heart that go out to this, this young man. Paul goes on to say that he is very dear to him. Now, today we're always trying to hire people. You know, one of the dangers of hiring anybody is you're stuck with them. If you hire them today and you want to get rid of them today because it's not working out, you have to be very careful. Because if you don't do it just right, what's going to happen? You know what? You're going to get sued. Well, today what we say is this. Past performance is the best indicator of future usefulness. Paul has a performance background on Onesimus that serves as the basis of his appeal to Philemon. That this man Philemon, or this man Onesimus' conversion in his service to Paul gives Paul the confidence that as this man Onesimus goes back to Philemon, that he is going to be a blessing to Philemon, to Philemon's family, and to Philemon's church. Again, what's happened here? This man Philemon has given his heart to Jesus promptly and sincerely. And Jesus is changing everything around this man. I don't think this man would ever have a clue Can you imagine him, even as a convert, having a clue that his story would be in the 66 books of the Bible that we're reading and is being read all around the world today? And it's all because of the change in his heart that came by Christ coming into him after Paul has done his work of evangelization. So this man's heart has changed. It's going to change the world, this man's conversion. You see Philemon in the third place. Now, we don't know a great deal about this man. What we do know about him is that he's a dear friend and fellow worker to Paul. He's the husband of Aphia. He's the father of Archippus. He is the master of this slave Onesimus, probably other slaves as well. There's a probability that this man Philemon and his family for generations before him have lived as a part of the privileged class of their society. They have probably been in a position of power, influence, and wealth and prestige. That's what we gather as we look at this epistle. Philemon was a man of his time as a part of the Roman culture, and all of this was a part of the strata and structure of Roman society of his day, the society that the gospel went forward 
to transform. There's just one aspect of it. More than likely, this man Philemon met Paul in Ephesus, was converted there, went home to the city of Colossae or Laodicea, we're not sure which, led his own wife and son to Christ, and later was a part of establishing the church in Colossae with the son of his, help of his son Archippus and the pastor Epaphras. Now, we don't know a great deal about this man's past, but we know that since this man has come to faith in Christ, there's just a whole litany of things that Paul lays out here. He has faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, we're told. He has love for all the saints. The love that he has expressed outwardly has given Paul great joy and encouragement. This love has been done in a concrete fashion in refreshing the hearts of the saints of the people of that church, probably with his monetary ability to meet their physical needs. Paul is confident from everything that he has said that Jesus has mastered Philemon. And so it's safe for Paul to speak to him and to challenge him. You know, so often, well, I would say often, I'm not sure how often it is in your church. Lots of times in the past, pastors were exhorters. You remember? Pastors were challengers. Uh, A lot of times I always felt that the real goal was up here. But the pastor's challenge was coming in down here. It really didn't match either the situation or the quality of people that he... I mean, it was sort of like, if you're up here and you're challenged down here, it doesn't take anything to meet the challenge. Paul's not like that. Paul sees that he's got a great man in this man Philemon. Now, the challenge to Philemon, is it down here? Is that where the challenge is? No. Is the challenge here? Is it? No. Is it way up here? Yes. Paul sees this man, sees that Christ has mastered him, and he's shooting for the sky for this man. We just don't challenge people. If you don't expect much, you won't. You won't get much. All right, I'm reeling you in. (laughs) I'm reeling you in. My heart, I offer to you, O Lord, promptly and sincerely. That's what you need to do. That's what I need to do daily. If you're a Methodist and had a background in Wesleyan Methodist, you believed in a second blessing, you know, after conversion, you would have a second blessing. Presbyterians believe in the hundred thousandths blessing. In other words, you need to ask for this blessing every day. You don't rest on yesterday's service for today's service. You're asking the Lord to strengthen you and give you the means of grace you need today to serve in the day. Paul sees this man as a man that can receive 
this quality of challenge and he extends it to this man. Real change comes through men and women whose hearts Christ has changed. These directions that Paul has in this letter is that we should aspire. We should aspire. Today, we're not being led with enough leadership to aspire. This is a culture that's changeable. This is a culture that's still malleable, but it has to be molded by clear Christian examples of faith and devotion and service. This is what Paul's seeking here. He's seeking it for Onesimus. He's seeking it for Philemon. He's writing this to the church. This church, just think, this church has got to take this slave in. Ultimately, Paul's asking that the slaves released. That's going to be a big, big job for the church. As the church goes over many years of influence, so goes the culture. We need to be a church where we as Christians aspire to be the Lord's people and in united being the Lord's people that we aspire to see our culture change. That's what Paul's getting at in Philemon. Let's pray. Now, Father, we, we do pray for this culture. We pray for our hearts. We pray for the hearts of other Christians, even as Paul did in this letter. He's constantly praying for this man's heart, for Onesimus' heart. Have our hearts and have your way in our lives. We offer ourselves up to you afresh. We pray in Christ's name with thanksgiving. Amen.